It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for October 30th, 2014. My name is Jacob Gwynn. Father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. We're getting a late start. We are late to start tonight. We This has been our Gospel Meeting Week here at College View, and we've just concluded our service, and uh, so we're a little late getting started, but we've got an important topic, and uh, oh, it'll be worth waiting for. All right, and uh, we've, somebody's come between us tonight. Yeah, Steve Steve Klein is here. Uh, <laughs> he's, I'm going to take that away from you. <laughs> yeah, Steve, Steve's got half of a, ear, a headset to listen to. Steve Klein preaches for the Eastside Congregation in Athens, Alabama, and he was our speaker for the Gospel Meeting tonight. He brought us a lesson about the Christian and alcohol. Uh, this was a lesson that we had specifically asked him to bring during the Gospel Meeting, and he was gracious enough to do it, and he's also uh, consented to join us for the virtual Bible study. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Excellent job on your sermon tonight. Really appreciated that. Thank you. Uh, we ask our listeners to send in emails, and it looks like several have, and I've got some printed out and some that I haven't had time to print out. We're going to be a little bit at loose ends tonight on, on picking up some of that information, uh, so we hope everybody will be, bear with us. You can also get in the chat room, and we'll try to field uh, questions and comments from the chat room as best as we can tonight, too. Also, we have, Jacob, a live studio audience, and so some of our members have stuck around after the gospel meeting to join us uh, for the for the virtual Bible study, and we'll be getting comments from them as well. All right. Uh, go ahead. All right, and we look forward to your calls as well, 877-381-4567, uh, questions at collegeview.com. And, Steve, uh, it was an excellent sermon you presented for us tonight. And you two gentlemen, I don't know if you keep a, a catalog of sermons that you've preached in the past, but I would dare say that the sermon on alcohol is not one that you've really preached a lot about in times past. It really wasn't all that necessary. Uh, that's entirely correct. I, actually, this particular lesson uh, I've sort of worked out just this year. I've preached it several times this year, but it's it's a it's a new lesson and, and a little bit of a new approach compared to what I've used before. I preach sermons on alcohol in local churches where, with which I've been associated over the years, but again, not frequently, and it hasn't been needed as much, I think, as it is today. I think it is, is evidence of the fact that our society is rubbing off, as you mentioned in your, in your sermon tonight, which we will podcast, by the way. Uh, but uh, you, I think our, it's evident our society is influencing Christians, as, it, as in many other areas. No doubt. Um, what, what do you think is, is causing that, Steve? I mean, is it, is it just the overwhelming influence of the world, a desire to be like the world? Or do you think there's what – what factors do you think are leading to this, especially this argument – that we're hearing more and more from Christians, not just from people in the world, but from Christians, we're hearing the argument, well, it's wrong to get drunk, but drinking is not specifically condemned in the Scripture, and as long as you don't get drunk, it's okay. What what would you think are the motivating factors that are leading some Christians to that conclusion? Well, it's hard to say exactly. I'm not a analyst of all that sort of thing, but I, 
I think that there's no doubt that the world has access to so much more uh, in the way of ways to get at the hearts and minds of Christians, um, you know, whether it's Internet, television, movies, and a lot of money is to be made in the sale of alcohol. And that's just been pushed upon us, made to look as if it's something desirable all around us all the time. A, a kid going to college nowadays, I mean, he's out, he's truly out of place, a fish out of water, if, if he doesn't drink. Um, and and so the, it's 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 pressure's just been mounting and mounting and mounting. I think steadily over the years, but has just uh, increased to a tipping point at this at this point in our culture. And, and of course, uh, the the media has so much more power to push these things at us. The uh, alcoholism and drinking alcohol has always been a problem, but now we have TV and the internet and. All the all the different means by which it can be promoted so much more effectively than it was throughout the centuries. Exactly. So we've got a problem. When you started your lesson uh, tonight, you you made some points just about the fact that common sense would dictate if you didn't even have a Bible and if you didn't care at all what the Bible taught about drinking alcohol, common sense would dictate that you shouldn't do it. Yes, I, I think that's very plain, at least to me. But I really believe that people have blinders when it comes to things they don't want to see. <laughs> and when it comes to alcohol, it, it's it's very clear if you look at what's going on in our culture, the damage that it causes to, to families, to, to people's health, um, to, to our culture as a whole, uh, the criminal activity that, that coincides with it. The, uh, we mentioned all sorts of different statistics but, but just to look at what alcohol is doing to people in our culture and our society, anybody who would look at that with, with any sort of fair-minded approach, a, a, a just eye, would have to say, this is awful. This has got to be stopped. This, yep. this is something that can't be encouraged. But everybody's got blinders on. There, there's, a, there's a lot of money involved in it. There's a lot of uh, sinful pleasure, obviously, that is in it and goes along with it. And people are just blind to the truth about it. You know, I think in this discussion that we, we hold a, a higher standard for determining whether or not alcohol is, is acceptable. We, we, I think a lot of Christians want to find an explicit, in, in these words, do not drink at all. They want to find those words, and if you can't find them, then they're going to say it's okay. We don't do that on other subjects. We right. wouldn't do that on, for instance, R-rated movies. Nowhere in the Bible will we find any reference to an R-rated movie. But we have no problem condemning those because we can apply principles. And I think we can do the same in alcohol. And one of those principles I think we can do is we, can, we know it by its fruit. And we can look at the fruit that you mentioned in, early in your lesson, and we can determine by that Christians have no business drinking. And, you know, people of the world are, point out, and I think rightfully so, that there's some real inconsistencies in our culture about the allowance of alcohol but laws against smoking marijuana, right, for instance. Right. Of course, those are beginning to crumble now as well. But, but, I, but I think Christians it, are up in arms about that. Yeah, Christians are saying, oh, no, you could never smoke marijuana uh, or you could never do recreational drugs at a moderate level but they're inconsistent about the alcohol see well it, it is blatant inconsistency i'm not sure that marijuana is any worse than alcohol as far as the effects of it on you know human behavior uh, and yet alcohol is readily accepted encouraged at every level of our culture, and, and in most cases still, marijuana is condemned, although, as you say, it's beginning to be encouraged more and more. 
I've, I have spoken, and maybe you have too, I imagine you have. I have spoken to young people who got involved with drugs. And I can remember one young man in particular who ha- who was in serious trouble with the law because of drugs. But he told me, he said, the strongest thing that he ever dealt with was alcohol, much stronger than the drugs that he had been involved in. That it w- And he felt it carried much more danger even than the drugs, although he, he wasn't condoning the drugs he'd been involved with, but he, he said alcohol to him was a far greater threat. So it's a big problem. All right, 877-381-4567. If you'd like to talk to us tonight, join in the chat room as well. Let's just let, Jacob, during this first segment, let's just lay a little bit of groundwork here, and then we've got some folks who want to talk, and we've got some a lot of emails to deal with. Uh, Steve, just clarify for us. We've We've talked about this before, but I'd like to hear you give your explanation. I think it's so uh, fitting about the word wine uh, in the Bible. Uh, how should we approach the scriptures whenever we find a, a, a verse that mentions the word wine? Well, I believe that the scriptures use the word wine to refer to, you know, the juice of the grape, which could contain alcohol, which had been fermented, or to juice of the grape that had not been fermented and did not contain alcohol. There are plain Bible references. I mentioned some tonight in the sermon, Isaiah 16.10, Isaiah 65.8, Mark 2 and verse 22, places in Scripture where the word wine plainly refers to a drink that did not contain alcohol, had not yet been fermented. There are other passages, I think. But you started out with Ephesians 5.18 that says, be not drunk with wine. Right, be not drunk with wine. So that's obviously referring to uh, wine that had alcohol in it. So you have you have plain passages where it has alcohol in it, plain passages where wine does not have alcohol in it, and a lot of times context will help you determine which is being spoken of, but there are texts where it's kind of difficult to tell, and those are sort of some of the battleground texts where maybe wine is referred to as a blessing, and somebody says, well, it's got alcohol in it there, and somebody else says, well, no, it doesn't. Well, you can't tell from the text. Um, we have to maybe look at some other things. And so it, it, it's a shaky foundation if you're going to base your position in support of drinking alcohol. If you go to some of those contexts where it cannot be said definitively, whether it is wine with alcoholic content or wine unfermented, and, but if you're going to stake your case on those kind of passages, you, you're on a really shaky footing. You are. Um and plainly, you're not using, you know, understanding how the Bible, well, you're, you're not understanding how the Bible uses the word wine in many contexts. And many of, most, uh, from your studies, uh, Steve, a, a vast majority of the references to wine are in the Old Testament. Very yes. few in the New Testament. True. And uh, it's it's even shakier ground to go to the Old Testament to, to try and justify drinking alcohol today by using uh, references to it under the Old Testament law. If I, if I want to do that, I could go to the Old Testament and make a very strong argument in, uh, in, in, in defense of polygamy, sure. uh, burning incense in worship. I mean, I could or instrumental the, music. The list, or... the, list, the list goes on and on. Absolutely. So we can, take, we can take those references in the Old Testament off the table. Uh, because what do you really think about that, Steve? I wanted to ask you about what the point Jake is making right there. In a sense, we can almost just dismiss any argument that's made from an Old Testament text uh, because that's not our law today. Would you agree? Well, I I think the Old Testament sort of lays a foundation for how God feels about a lot of moral issues, but it's certainly not our law to live by today. And if you're going to go to an Old Testament passage and put your finger on it and say we can or cannot do this based on this Old Testament passage, 
you're out you're out of bounds that's been that's been nailed to the cross it's been done away with i think most of us understand that and we i think we would agree too that in the old testament god tolerated some things that he would not today it was a time of spiritual infancy among humankind i mean uh multiple marriages uh divorce uh, slavery, just a, a number of things that God allowed that we would not that we would understand that He does not allow today. So, uh, again, I, I think we need to be prepared to deal with some of those Old Testament arguments. But if if your best case in defending drinking is to go to an Old Testament text, then understand that there again you, you're taking a weak position. I think so. And uh, But as you mentioned, though, Steve, there are some principles we learn from the Old Testament. And I think there are some principles about drinking even that we can learn from the Old Testament and apply in, in our application today. Again, not basing our law on those, but based on the principles uh, that we're seeing in the Old Testament. What time? I, I'm completely out we of are, shape. It time. is time for us to, to go ahead and take a break. And then when we get back, we'll get into uh, some more of your comments, hopefully, at 877-381-4567. We'll take a break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. All our quotes tonight are about drinking. The first thing in the human personality that dissolves in alcohol is dignity. Drinking makes such fools of people, and people are foolish to begin with, and thus it is a compounding felony. Wine hath drowned more men than the sea. Alcoholism is devastating and potentially fatal. The primary symptom of having it is telling everyone, including yourself, that you're not an alcoholic. One of the most important facts to remember about alcoholism is its progression. Alcoholism begins in an early stage that looks nothing at all like the life-threatening thing that it is. It proceeds into a middle stage where problems begin to appear and intensify and gradually advances into the late degenerative stages of obvious psychological dependence, physical and psychological deterioration, and loss of control. 
Because alcohol is encouraged by our culture, we get the idea that it isn't dangerous. However, alcohol is the most potent and most toxic of the psychoactive drugs. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight talking about the Christian and alcohol. And we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, Steve, you mentioned in your sermon lots of uh, reasons why you think that uh, Christians are, are instructed to abstain. Steve, tell us about alcoholic content and and wine and what the Old Testament referred to commonly as strong drink. I think that's really uh, enlightening. I think a lot of people probably don't understand the the amount of alcohol in these drinks compared to modern drinks and so forth. Well, wine, when it was fermented in ancient times, could not have any more than uh, about 9% alcoholic content in it. Uh, due to some natural limitations of fermentation. Um, Strong drink, which comes from the Hebrew word shakar, is a a word that's found in the Old Testament that refers to a drink that had anywhere from 7 to as much as 10% alcoholic content. But that that was the strongest drink that was available to men in ancient times, actually probably all the way up into uh, modern times, uh, the 1800s or so as far as wine is concerned. So you have... Strong drink and wine in the Old Testament being at most 9 to 10 percent alcoholic content. Some uh, processes have been invented in modern times since the 1800s whereby men can increase alcoholic content of wine up from 15 to 22 percent, really double what it was in ancient times for strong drink. Now, there were a lot of wines, I think, that had only 2 to 3 percent alcohol content in ancient times. And that was determined by how much sugar was in the grape uh, that kind of controlled how how much alcohol would develop in the fermentation process. Now, you made the point, that, and it's an interesting one, that the the term strong drink is universally condemned in the scriptures with a, with a couple of verses that are a little bit maybe uh, hard to understand completely. One of those uh, was in, uh, what is it, Deuteronomy uh, 1426, yeah, 14, yes. where it talks about selling your your crops or your produce, bringing the money to the place of worship, buying back things uh, for the tithe offering and the tithe meal and so forth. And, there, and the word strong drink is used there, uh, which... You, you suggested it is maybe the only place where the consumption of strong drink is not condemned. Have you ever heard the explanation in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26, that maybe there it was talking about a drink offering rather than something that was consumed when they brought when they brought their tithe money and bought back the produce uh, in order to make the the the, the gift at the, at the place of worship? There was a meal involved as well. Uh, I have heard it explained that the strong drink there perhaps wasn't even consumed, but was actually offered as a drink offering. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think that's a possibility given the uh, laws on strong drink, I mean on, on drink offerings uh, throughout the Old Testament. It, it seems to me just from looking at the text itself that it was consumed as sort of a, a, an exceptional event. I don't think I could jump up and down either way declaring that it was or wasn't, but it, it looks to me from reading the text like it, it probably was. But that's very exceptional because uh, every other place except for Proverbs 31 and verse 6 where it's uh, allowed for medicinal reasons, every other place the word strong drink translated from shikar is condemned 
in the Old Testament. Okay, so now the, the point that you make, I think, is really strong. Concerning strong drink, it's effectively universally condemned in the Old Testament. We're talking there about something that might have 10% alcoholic content. At the most. At the most. Now, we compare that to modern drinks. No, now, wine, maybe uh, Old Testament wines, alcoholic wines in the Old Testament, maybe as low as 2% alcohol. Right. Less than, much less than the strong drink or some yeah. less than the strong drink. So strong drink is as much as you could have, 10%. Wines would be somewhere below that. You, you know, you might feature 3 5%, 8%, something like that. But but a ten percent a drink with ten percent alcoholic content strong drink in the Old Testament effectively universally condemned. Then how does that compare to modern drink? Well, the research that I've done on modern drink, and I'm obviously not an expert on on any of this, but uh, did quite a bit of reading and some research on it. Um, wine, for instance, in the Western world has an alcoholic content of between eight and fifteen percent, so it would already be Strong drink and beyond strong drink. Um, and by then, Bible terminology. By Bible terminology. And then some wines, such as the Zinfandels, I understand, have as high as 22% alcohol content. Now, that happens because, again, man has come up with some processes to increase the alcohol content in these wines. Uh, they weren't invented until the 1800s. Chaptalization is one of them. And then... Um, uh, Another one where really wine is is introduced, or alcohol, I should say, I'm sorry, is introduced into the wine. In other words, they, they actually fortification, fortify, fortification. fortify the wine with yeah. more alcohol. Yeah. Uh, and, and so even wines today would qualify as strong drink in the Old Testament. And then, of course, if you talk about liquors and bourbons and vodkas, they're way higher. Right. Well, the wines today would all qualify as strong drink some of them twice as much as strong drink in the Old Testament. And then, as you said, the, the, the bourbons and the whiskeys and, and the, the liquors, uh, five to ten times as much as what strong drink was in the Old Testament. So you have something that's condemned throughout the Old Testament. And what we've got today is, 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 is as I said in the lesson, two to ten times as strong as that drink that was universally condemned in the Old Testament. Now, we have an email from Keith in Hendersonville where he says, uh, the strongest, uh, what matters is what do the scriptures teach? Drunkenness is always condemned in the scriptures, whereas the drinking of wine was commonplace and not condemned ever in scriptures. We can't make light of it by saying it, was, it wasn't as strong as our wine, which is true. But if you drink enough of it, it would intoxicate. Don't ignore the teaching of Scripture in exchange for tradition. So Key says you can't you can't just pass over and say that the the wine uh, today is stronger than it was back then. But what you're saying, your point is is good that the strong drink, which is almost universally condemned in the Old Testament, which isn't even our our guide today, but in the Old Testament was strongly condemned. That's the equivalent of of the weak drinks you would get today. Yes, exactly. I, I, you know, it's if you take whatever the Bible says about wine, as I said in the lesson, if in every on every page of the Bible, if you had a verse that said, yeah, it's okay to drink wine, what they had as wine is not what we've got today. What we've got today is, again, 2 to 10 percent, 2 to 10 times more uh, potent than what they had. Again. So you're, you're comparing not apples and oranges, but as I said in the lesson, you're comparing you know, cider to whiskey. It's it's not the same thing. And again, that's not you're not hinging your argument on that, but it's just no. uh, it's just something you're putting in in your in your stack here of things reasons why we need to avoid alcohol. Right. And so, exactly. if you wanted, uh, uh, Keith was trying to argue that drinking wine is not condemned. Well, what you have to 
what you have to parallel there is strong drink. Strong drink is condemned throughout the Old Testament, and that's what our wines today are. They are strong drink. And so I think that's an important distinction to make. All right. Um, of course, you you spent some time dealing with 1 Peter 4, verse 3, as a, as a New Testament passage that condemns drinking at all levels. I try to make that argument, too. Uh, I've, I've run into a lot of people who like to maybe quibble about that passage. Walk us through 1 Peter 4, verse 3, Steve. Well, there are, there are three words there that are prohibited by three things that are prohibited by Peter in the life of a Christian. Um, he says we've spent enough of the, our past life doing these things, and he includes in that list drunkenness, revelries, and drinking parties. Well, drunkenness is... Uh, an excess of wine, the King James Version says, but it, it comes from a, a word that just means a lot of wine and, and imbibing a lot of what is obviously alcoholic wine. We understand that be, getting drunk is a sin. I think everybody in this discussion would agree exactly. about that. The word revelries or revelings, as the King James Version has, is a, a, a wild party of some sort where you just you know, forsake all bounds of decency. We might call it a frat party or something like that. A lot of heavy drinking, uh, wild, uh, lewd activities going on. And most all of us would understand that Christians should not, would not in drink, uh, take part in revelries. But the third word there is the word we want to focus on. It's translated in the New King James Version, drinking parties, banquetings in the King James Version, which actually I think is a pretty good translation. Um, carousing is translated in other other versions of the Bible. Literally, it it just means a drinking without respect to how much is drunk. Um, Literally, the word potos there just means a drinking. And uh, R.C. Trench, who is a New Testament Greek expert, says concerning this word that it's not necessarily excessive. So I said in the sermon, it's like you go to a, a fancy or formal banquet somewhere or you go to what the world calls a cocktail party, or you take somebody out from work, uh, say a client, uh, and, and drink is available. Um, nobody's there to get drunk. Nobody's particularly there to drink too much. You could if you wanted to. That's exactly the situation this is talking about, uh, where where drinking is available, where it's a it's a banquet, it's a, it's a drinking party, uh, what we call today social drinking. I, I don't. There couldn't be a more clear word uh, that the Holy Spirit could have chosen. I think in all the Greek language, to to describe that. Let me. Uh, I I I try to make that argument, but it has been posed to me that R. C. Trench is an outlier on that definition, and that other Greek authorities don't necessarily make the same conclusion he does. Have you Have you heard that argument? Uh, I've heard it mentioned a couple of times, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to pit my Greek scholarship against R.C. Trenches. No, I'm not either. Um, and, and the thing is, he's he's so so thorough when it comes to comparing words which deal with similar things. His book is Synonyms of the Greek New Testament, and he's looking at, at Greek words, Koine Greek words, that are used sometimes in place of one another or beside one another or one leading into another. And, and he's really made such a careful study of that. I, I would just... I'm not, he's not inspired, obviously, but I would have a hard time questioning him when he's looked at these word, this word and then words that 
sort of go along with it, are similar, could be used in different ways. He's examined all of that, and now he's giving us a very precise definition here. I really liked when you were making that point, Steve. You referenced Matthew 1042. The verb form of this noun, potos, what was it? Potos, yes. And what was the verb? Potizo is the verb. Potizo is the verb. And it is there just literally giving a drink. Yes. In other words, whoever gives a drink in my name, his reward will not be lost and so forth. Give a drink is the word translated drink there is the word. And so obviously there we see an example of that Greek word or a form of it being used in reference to a drinking without any indication of amount or excess. Yeah. The text there specifies that they're talking about water. So it's a drinking of water. But it could be how big was the cup? Was it a cup? Was it a three-liter bottle? You know, what was it? We're not told. It doesn't matter. The amount, if you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name is the point. I think that, again, sometimes in Greek verbs and nouns don't have, you know, precisely the same. I wouldn't necessarily hang, again, the entire argument on that. But the use of that verb form of this word in Matthew 10.42 is, I think, very instructive and helpful. All right. Arthur, quickly a comment from our audience, and then we'll get a break. In reference to the word banqueting that you were talking about. At 1 Peter 4.3. Right. 1 Peter 4.3. Going to vine, and vine is referred to go to carousing, a drinking without reference to how much or how little. Also, Young's Analytical said the same thing, a drinking. And you said Strong's. Was it Strong's that you had? You said a drinking? Let's see. I don't think I quoted Strong's. Yeah, Trench. Trench, okay. So, you know, how many times do you have to have it, you know, referred to as? And it's the same Greek word, potos. Okay. All right. Thank you, Arthur. All right. We need to get a break and get this week's bullet point. When we get back, I want to talk about the word sober. I think that drinking alcohol is inconsistent with our instruction to be sober, our command to be sober. And we'll talk about that when we get back. We got several comments from our listeners, and hope we can get to some of those. We may not get them all tonight. We'll apologize if we don't, but we'll take a break and be right back. All right. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It's discouraging to hear some folks continue to use the same old worn-out arguments to defend social drinking or so-called drinking in moderation. We're concerned that their stubborn adherence to these discredited proofs is evidence of a rebellious heart. For what it's worth, let's cover one of these old arguments that frequently circulates. It has to do with Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. It's recorded in John chapter 2. One man wrote to us and said, quote, The fact that the guests said the best wine was served after the inferior wine suggests quite strongly that the wine was alcoholic. It would be and still is normal practice to serve the good stuff first, then after the guests get a slight buzz, not suggesting drunkenness, the cheaper stuff is served, unquote. Well, if getting a buzz does not suggest some level of drunkenness, we wonder what it does suggest. But beyond that, serving one's best of anything to guests is always the norm. If you come to my house for a cookout, I may serve steak. After that is gone, I may have to fix some hamburgers. Finally, I might need to break out the hot dogs. 
Do you see the point? The fact that the wine Jesus miraculously produced was better than what had been served before in no way proves that the former or the latter had any alcoholic content. In this case, the ruler of the feast was simply amazed that the best wine, quality, not alcoholic content, had been saved until last. Furthermore, how could it be that our sinless Lord was supplying more wine, in fact, lots more wine, maybe as much as 150 gallons of wine, to people who were already experiencing a buzz? Someone has correctly observed as followed, quote, If Jesus made fermented wine for people to drink, there's nothing wrong with drinking alcoholic beverages. Also, there's nothing wrong with drinking it. There's nothing wrong with giving it away or selling it. Furthermore, if Jesus supplied it, we ought to do the same and follow his steps. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, unquote. Who can believe all of this? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And back, we're back on the program. I want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of the Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where we will tell you you can find out more about podcasting sermons that have been presented recently to the College of the Church of Christ. And we're going to have a bonus in the podcast feed uh, this week. We're going to podcast all of the sermons that have been presented. In oh, the wow. Week. Yeah, we're going to fill up your podcast <laughs> receiver. I hope you've got a lot of memory there because it's coming. Uh, there'll be a slug of uh, sermons coming to your podcast there, receiver. So uh, check that out at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. All right, go ahead, Jacob. You want to make the point about sobriety, the command to be sober. Well, yeah, we're commanded to be sober. And uh, lots. Uh, there are five passages in the New Testament that translate the Greek word nepho as sober, one of those being First Peter chapter five, verse eight, where we're told to be sober and to be vigilant. And uh, Steve, I'm sure you're aware that, that that word means to abstain from wine, to be free from the influence of intoxicants. And uh, that uh, that shows me that the consumption of alcohol is inconsistent with that command to be sober. Yeah, literally, uh, it also carries with it the concept of being self-controlled. Mm-hmm. And we even discussed in the lesson tonight. Uh, it, it doesn't take very much alcohol at all before you start to lose some of your inhibitions. Uh, we talked about driving skills begin to deteriorate actually at .02, which is uh, a beer or less. Mm-hmm. So very little alcohol can begin to you, you begin to lose that that self control, those inhibitions, um, and that's what soberness is to be free of all of that. Yeah. Which I, I think that's a excellent definition. Well, you know, it's interesting that passage is mentioned in, in connection with the verse. Where, you know, it's a verse we're well aware of that the devil's a roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour. Now, uh, Steve, if, I, if we had a roaring lion in this room and uh, we were going to put you up against him, uh, how many drinks would you want to take to have just take the edge <laughs> off, you know, just to loosen up a little bit? How many? Uh, I wouldn't want to take any. Yeah, you're, you're not at all because, uh, because again, it's, it's inconsistent with the life that we've been called to lead and the, the, the dangers of, of sin around us. Uh, Brad, uh, we were talking during the break. If you can grab a, a microphone there. Um, we were talking during the break. Uh, you know, there's some who... By will... the way, Brad's one of our faithful listeners from North Alabama. Thanks for being here, Brad, live and in person tonight. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, uh, Brad, uh, there, there's some who will quibble with that argument that uh, that, that word uh, nepho, the, the word sober there, is used in a figurative sense in some of these passages. But Really, you can't negate the, what it means uh, by just saying that it's a, a figurative application. I, I think you said it best during the break, which was you can't be sober figuratively 
without being sober, literally. And some will say, but yeah, the, we're using the word more like uh, the word awake. The Bible says that we need, to, we need to be awake to the things that are going on around us. Well, but if I look at that word, obviously it's in a figurative sense because we have to sleep t- sometimes. But if you're going to try to say, well, sober means something is being used in a similar way to the way we see the word awake being used. Does that mean we, we mean that we can be drunk sometimes? So I, I don't think it's right to say that sober is used in quite the same way that awake is. And uh, and again, I just have to keep coming back to you can't be sober figuratively, or, or perhaps we might say, uh, uh, more more generally speaking, uh, if you're not sober literally. Uh, right. Jacob, uh, our regular correspondent, uh, Chris from England, uh, has joined in on this point. I asked, one of the questions I put out earlier today is, what do you think is the strongest argument that can be offered against Christians drinking alcohol? And he's on this be sober uh, as the strongest argument like you are. He says Christians should always be in control of their actions and have clear mind, which you can't be if alcohol or any drug is in control of you and what you think or do. He quotes First Thessalonians five six. So then we must not sleep like the rest, but we must stay awake and be sober. First Peter one verse thirteen. Therefore, get your minds ready for action. Be self disciplined. First Peter four seven. Be clear headed. And then he mentions also First Peter five verse eight. All right. And closely associated with that, uh, Steve, is a, a passage you brought up from the Old Testament. Again, we're not using the Old Testament to establish our laws today, but uh, we can use it to establish principles. You referenced Leviticus chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, where priests were told, again, to abstain from wine and intoxicating drink. Uh, verse 9 of Hebrew, Leviticus 10, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die it shall be a statue forever throughout your generations. Notice verse 10, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. The consumption of alcohol would hinder and inhibit their ability to make good decisions about what is holy and unholy, clean and unclean. And if we're told, instructed to be sober, because we are in this life and death battle with Satan, our adversary, the devil, then we must abstain because it's going to hinder our ability to engage in that battle. That's, that's certainly the case. We are a royal priesthood, and we are ever and always priests, um, and we're always on duty. Uh, again, this is not a law for us. It's an Old Testament law concerning the priests, but we as New Testament priests, we're always on duty. We always need to be self-controlled. We always need, need to be able to distinguish the, the holy from the unclean. Uh, when is a time when it would be good for us not to be able to do that or to, to be inhibited in our ability to do that? Obviously, there is no such time. All right. Again, we're not using that passage as uh, our law, but it does establish the principle that alcohol inhibits our ability uh, to make uh, sound decisions. All right. Uh, when we get back, we want to go to some of these questions that have been submitted. Uh, I, I think we can dispose of one here real quickly. We'll do this before the break. Wayne sent in and asked, what do you think about items that have alcohol in them or are cooked with alcohol for instance, beer can chicken or rum balls or Jack Daniels sauce. Chris in England asked, on previous episodes, you have precluded the purchase of alcohol even. So what about its use in cookery where the alcohol is cooked off? Uh, if no one there uses alcohol in cooking, how do you make stocks, gravy, soups, and stews, uh, Irish we'll stews, use, uh, and so forth? I'm not a cook, uh, Chris, but I think my wife uses water. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a cook yet. But what do you think? What do you think? Maybe we'll ask our audience here. What do you think about uh, you know, buying some alcohol to cook with. Now, I understand that if you cook with it, you, the alcohol 
cooks off. And, and so the intoxicating property of it would be gone. What do you think, Steve? Thoughts? Well, I, I think the issue is one of influence if you're, if you're buying it in our culture, especially. Um, you know, we, we don't, as, as uh, Jacob said, my wife cooks with water. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't, we don't do that. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a matter of choice as far as what God wants us to do. I know He wants us to guard our influence. Yeah. Uh, you so, know, when I, when I don't go grocery shopping a lot, but when Cindy sends me for grocery shopping and maybe she needs, Barbecue sauce, if we're having barbecue. Uh, I won't even buy the Jack Daniels barbecue sauce. I don't even. That doesn't have any alcohol. That doesn't have it. But Jack Daniels has damned a lot of men's souls to hell. And I'm not going to support that company for doing it. So I think there's some other considerations that go in it. All right. Okay. Go ahead, Arthur. Um, I think my wife is a good cook. She's been cooking for quite a few years. She's an excellent cook, Arthur. You better be careful how you say that. She's an excellent cook. Thank you. And, you know, I I have never, ever known anything, had anything to do with alcohol in her use of it in cooking. She could be a good cook without ever using alcohol. I know so. Yeah. And uh, all right, well, we'll get a, we'll get a break. We'll go get back. We've got just a few minutes to wrap this up, and we'll hopefully take some more comments from you. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study. You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The death of working age people due to alcohol consumption continues to rise in the United States. Roughly one out of every 10 deaths to those of working age can be attributed to alcohol, with 71% of those being males. That information is via the week, 7 14 The Word of God says in Proverbs 23, beginning verse 29, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, and when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. 
We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we talk with Steve Klein about uh, the Christian and alcohol. And so we want to continue the discussion. Uh, We're going to try to just hit a lot of emails here, Jacob. Some of this will be disjointed, but we'll just go with it. Okay. Uh, from our friend Ramona in Texas, she I asked, what's the strongest argument you can make? And she says, the strongest argument I think of against drinking alcohol is that if you were out drinking and you were a Christian working to bring those to Christ, what would be your influence if they saw you drinking? Could you lose their soul? So basically, she's just arguing that we've got to protect our influence, and drinking alcohol is not going to be a good way to do that. Okay. Lucas sends in the arguments that he has heard uh, Psalm 104, beginning verse 14, God declared wine to be a blessing to gladden the heart of man, and its removal represented a curse from God in Deuteronomy 28, 15, and 39. Again, I think we have to look at the context, and there's nothing in the context that demands that that be alcoholic wine that, that God was blessing with. And I think we, if we're going to stay in the Old Testament, we'd have to look at other passages that uh, where God tells us how bad a uh, curse alcohol is. For instance, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, uh, that says, uh, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So I can't harmonize passages that say that wine is a blessing from God when God says that fools drink it. Yeah. So putting the two together, you'd have to say the wine that's a blessing was not alcoholic wine, likely. Again, there's nothing in the context that demands that it was. Either so way. when I use other passages to interpret that, then I have to determine it wasn't alcoholic. Steve, any thought? Yeah, the Apostle Paul in uh, Acts 13 tells us that you know God has blessed us by filling our, our souls with food and gladness. Well, you know, a lot of people look at that reference to wine and say, well, it must be alcoholic because people are getting glad. Well, how about food? I like barbecue chicken. That makes me glad. Not intoxicating. Okay. Okay. Um, another argument from Lucas. The Spirit through Paul put drinking squarely in Romans 14 along with eating meat as an issue of liberty that should not be used to cause a brother to sin. Verse 21. This isn't talking about people sinning over grape juice. Well, again, I'd have to ask the question what's wrong with the meat there? If, if it, what, what about meat would be, it be intoxicating that we have to abstain from it? And just because it says wine and people might be offended because it's alcoholic, people could also be offended for other reasons over non-alcoholic wine. I'm, my argument, you've heard this before, Jacob, and Steve and I were talking about this this afternoon. My argument from Romans 14 is that he's talking about meat offered to idols, and I think the wine there is the drink offerings offered to idols. And so I think, I mean, what would cause a person to be upset about someone drink, eating meat? I think it was the meat offered. We know that was an issue in first in the in the first century church. First Corinthians eight and ten described that issue, and so I think Romans. My understanding of Romans fourteen would say that you can't argue that that's uh, intoxicating wine, and therefore they were being offended because you were drinking intoxicating. I don't think you can prove it's intoxicating wine, Steve. Yeah, I don't think you can either. I think it's a, a likelihood, or at least possible, that it's the uh, wine and meat that's sacrificed to idols. The other point is, as the, the verse says, don't do it if it causes people to stumble. It is plain that drinking alcoholic beverages and encouraging others to do so causes them to stumble. I don't, I don't think anything could be plainer than that. 
So basically, this verse doesn't encourage us at all to do it. It said, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. And, and there is some historical evidence that uh, first century Christians were so adamant against the consumption of alcohol that they even abstained from grape juice. And perhaps that's a, an, an indication here that... Even, so there are a number of possible interpretations yeah, on 14. Other, and, you, and, and to say that it's definitely talking about alcoholic wine is yes. going way out on a limb. Right. Uh, real quickly, Lucas's final argument, he, he says that he thinks makes the strongest case. Jesus was slandered as a glutton and a drunkard because he did indeed eat and drink wine in contrast with John the Baptist. Of course, the text is Luke seven thirty three through 35. Steve? Well, was he really a glutton? I don't think so. I don't either. <laughs> No, no, so uh, it was a false so, accusation. So the his false enemy, accusation. This is an accusation from his enemies. Why would we put any yeah. stock right. in that? Yeah. And, and you'd have to assume, again, that the wine there was, was had alcohol in it, that he was drinking a lot of it, which was not true. So the whole accusation is untrue. It's from his enemies. I don't think that proves a thing in the world. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, money. Well, a comment I would make when we was talking about uh, abstaining from things if it caused our brother to stumble, even to the comment that was made a few minutes ago in one of the questions, well, what about uh, using alcohol and cooking purposes? If I go into the Kroger store and I, or wherever that you would buy these types of alcohol for cooking purposes and I buy that and somebody sees me walking out with this alcohol, as somebody referred to beer chicken, and you can buy beer at Kroger's. If they see me, even though in my mind I know I'm going to use it for cooking and all the alcohol is going to get cooked out of it, so it's not going to affect me that way. When they see me do it, I have lost my influence with them. And they think they will think, because Monty's a Christian, if he can have beer and use it, that I can too, and I have caused them to stumble. So there's really no way I can possibly purchase the stuff or have it in my possession that I'm not causing someone to stumble. Yep. All right. Excellent. We should mention real quickly from Lucas's email, his strong arguments, the strongest arguments against drinking, the risk of dependence when not enjoyed in a godly way. And if you're with someone known to have a propensity to get drunk, your drinking may encourage that round of drunkenness. But this law compels us not to put that stumbling block in front of that person. So uh, I would agree there's the danger of dependence. I don't think you can participate in drinking in a godly way. Certainly, we've already talked about putting a stumbling block in someone's way, and we've got to be careful about that. We use the examples of Noah and Lot this evening as righteous men who you would think if anybody could control themselves, but they didn't, did they? Um, people who believe that they're living righteous lives and can do this and always control themselves are, are fooling themselves. You're not any more righteous than, than Lot or Noah was, and, and you need to be real with that. Randy in Swartz Creek, Michigan, writes in and comments about 1 Timothy 5.23, drink water no longer, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. He says, Paul was telling Timothy to use a little wine for his stomach's sake. Alcohol can be used as a medicine, but I think for a bad stomach, we have much better medicine for one's stomach today than using wine or alcohol. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I love it when 1 Timothy 5, verse 23 is brought up because I really think that's an argument in that that should line up in the column of Christians should abstain. Because what you see here is the case of Timothy, who we know was a faithful Christian of the first century, under the guiding influence of the inspired Apostle Paul. And what was his normal practice? Completely abstinent. He was co- a complete teetotaler. He had to be told to drink, not a lot, drink a little for medicine. And, and what that proves is that his normal practice was to drink none at all. And Paul didn't say, you know, Timothy, there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol with your dinner. Come on, man, don't be such a prude. No, he said you can have some for medicinal purposes. And so I think it does help us to understand what the first century Christians' uh, practice was 
in everyday life. Uh, we have an email from Brendan, uh, and uh, he makes some arguments here in support of the consumption of alcohol. He references uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 17. You referenced it in your uh, sermon tonight, uh, Steve, about uh, the new wine and old wineskins. And, uh, and he says that um, it uh, shows that, uh, that uh, the skins must be pliable so they can expand with, when the juice ferments. Uh, he says, I believe you argued uh, that he was using a commonly known rule in our previous program on this stat. He says, but I cannot imagine Jesus using a sinful deed as his teaching illustration. Uh, he says it would make as much sense as uh, you saying today it is wise to erase your Internet history if you've been viewing porn to make some spiritual application. It may be common sense and commonly understood, but we would never use it as an example in our sermon on Sunday. And so uh, what about that? Uh, is Jesus in his reference to the new wine and old wineskins saying or giving at least his approval of the process of fermenting wine for its consumption? What do you say, Steve? Well, we mentioned in the lesson tonight, Jesus used a parable about an unjust steward uh, who wasn't doing right to teach a principle okay. about righteousness. Okay. Uh, so I think the, the man's statement that he would not use something that was wrong to teach about right is incorrect okay. on the face of it. If that is the, if that is if the that true were, interpretation. That, yeah. uh, there are other in, uh, plausible interpretations is what Jesus is saying there, one being that uh, you wouldn't put unfermented wine in wine, uh, skins where wine had been fermented before because there would be... Some, it would ferment. It would then ferment and ruin, uh, and it also burst the wineskins. So you'd, you'd have to be careful of that. Uh, and so... Uh, there's, there are other plausible explan- explanations, I guess. Okay, let me go to one from Aaron real quickly. We're going to run out of time in a hurry. Uh, Aaron sends in and says, I believe there was at least one time that Jesus drank fermented wine in John 19, verses 28 through 30. As I understand it, there's no real way for wine to become sour with, without first fermenting. The process is that the sugar in the fruit was first converted to ethanol, and the ethanol was eventually oxidized to acidic acid or vinegar. By the way, Aaron's a chemist. He knows all of that sort of thing. He says, regardless of the details, Jesus drank wine that was certainly alcoholic. And the specific purpose was because he was thirsty, verse 28 says. It was not sinful for him to drink wine with some alcoholic content in order to relieve his thirst. He did not drink enough to dull his mind. I would. I, what do you think, Steve? Well, I, I think... Of course, Jesus is on the cross at this moment. Right. He, he, he's on the cross. He's suffering. He says, I thirst. That doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to give him something just for his thirst. If what uh, the man says is, is true, and I never had studied that in detail before, but if, it, if, if indeed this has some alcohol in it, I have read before that what they gave men on the cross was really an analgesic, a painkiller. Uh, when they were dying on the cross to to actually alleviate the pain, to prolong the experience. Romans were kind of cruel that way, and I've read that um, in more than one place. Don't you think it it, would be hard for me to use the case of Jesus on the cross taking a a drink of something to justify what I do in normal daily activity? For sure. Uh, This seems to me like it would line up more in the direction of something done medicinally. Yes. All right, Arthur. Uh, you know, going back to Timothy, Paul telling Timothy to take a little wine for stomach's sake. If he'd been accustomed to drinking, Greg, he'd say, you got to drink more. you got to drink more for your stomach problems. But he wasn't used to drinking. He t- told him to drink a little. But, you know, I guess the thing is with me, I don't even need the Scripture to tell I cannot believe beyond imagination that you could say the Son of God created fermented wine 
and to feast and drink and contribute to their drinking more. John 2. You're talking about John 2. Wedding feast. That's one of the arguments that we won't probably have a lot of time to talk about. But I want to tell you, if Jesus made alcoholic wine at the wedding feast of Cana and Galilee and gave it to people to drink, and some would argue that he participated himself, then I would argue that that's a good thing. And not only is it good, then we should do as he did. And we, we can make it. We can sell it. We can give it away. We can we can uh, drink of it of ourselves. We're supposed to follow in his steps. We need to be promoting it. He was, he, he was he in the business it. of promoting it. He He's made 150 a, gallons of it. And at a drunken party where supposedly people are, have had enough that they can't tell the difference between good wine and you, bad. You know, just think of the inconsistency of this argument. I don't think you should... I, I don't think you should do it, but I can't say it's wrong. I don't. I don't drink, but I don't think that you can say in the it's privacy wrong to drink. of your home where no one's going to be. Stumbled. I want to tell you, if that was alcoholic wine that Jesus made in John chapter two, then you can't say that you shouldn't do it because if Jesus did it, you ought to do it. You ought to be doing it, and you ought to be giving it to people around you. That's right. And so, how can you say I don't? I I I think it's wise to not. I don't think it's a sin, but I think it's a wise. Choice Jesus to didn't think it was. It if that was alcohol. alcoholic wine, Jesus, then you're arguing against the wisdom of Jesus yes. to say that you shouldn't drink. See, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. All right, Brad, uh, your comment. Sorry to bounce back and forth between passages, but back to John 19 for just a moment, which of course has parallel passages in, in the other accounts, I believe as well. Jesus said he was thirsty, and what did they give him to to deal with his thirst? Sour wine, or as my translation renders it, vinegar. Was that were they genuinely giving him something to deal with his thirst, or was that a mocking? Were they mocking him by giving him that? Um, I don't I, think they I, were trying to be helpful. Right, exactly. So I, again, I'm I'm not sure there's much to stand on there. No. And and the other thing is, you know, it wasn't a matter of choice on Jesus's part. It's what they gave him, uh, and. and uh, once he received it, it doesn't say how much he drank of it. It may have been simply when he recognized what it was. That was all that he did. Well, at one time on the cross, he did refuse what they offered him. So, all right. Uh, Aaron asked about Deuteronomy fourteen twenty two through twenty six about the tithe. We already talked about that. He he uh, does not agree with our use of R. C. Trench's definition of potos in First Peter four three, where it says where Trench says that the drinking there potos was not necessarily excessive. Uh, and, and Aaron and I have emailed about that. Uh, so uh, he is one voice who says he doesn't think R.C. Trench is being accurately used as we have used him in First Peter four three. But we, but we just don't have time Aaron to still, go. Another. Aaron still will need to, to deal with the other word that we referenced tonight, nepho, uh, which is translated sober. Which uh, is uh, there is not a dis- discrepancy, I don't believe, on the definition of that word. Uh, so we do have that argument. Um, and Aaron made uh, Aaron and Brendan are having some uh, chat in the chat room tonight. We can't catch all of this tonight, but uh, uh, Brendan made the point that Jesus was called a glutton and a drunkard. Therefore, Jesus must have been drinking intoxicating wine in order to be called a drunkard. And Aaron says it's it's plausible that uh, since you can't tell the difference between fermented and unfermented wine simply by looking, it's perfectly plausible that one drinking unfermented wine could be accused of doing otherwise. Again, these, that's these a good false explanation. I think, I think that's right. Good okay. explanation. Okay. Real quickly, I want to get a couple of questions from uh, Chris in England. What about uh, Proverbs thirty-one six? Give strong drink to him who is perishing, wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. You mentioned this in the sermon, Steve. Right. It's obviously a medicinal use. Um, somebody's dying. Help them. You know, through their last throes of death while they're in such pain, as we would use morphine today 
uh, a similar thing. Um, somebody's bitter, and that may have to do with them actually dying, or it may be deep, deep depression that's being talked about there. I think really in the parallelism of Hebrewism there, Hebraism, um, that it's probably talking about still about about somebody who's about to die, and you I, give them that medicinally. I think so too. He mentions several other places like uh, uh, Ecclesiastes nine seven: Enjoy life with the one you love. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Couldn't prove that with alcoholic wine there. Uh, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Jake, have you got anything else in the chat room we need? We're out of time. We're, we're, out of we're time. over time. And so we need to call it quits, but uh, it's a good discussion. Real quickly, from the the qualifications of elders and deacons in 1 Timothy 3, Chris asked, what about the elder? He's not given to wine. The deacon not given to much wine. How, is that saying that it's okay for drink deacons to drink some, just don't drink a lot, but elders shouldn't drink any at all? I think the... Prohibition of an excess of anything doesn't necessarily allow for a little bit of that thing. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I've made the argument from that. The elders are supposed to be the most spiritually mature men in the church. If anybody could handle their drinking, you would think it would be the elders. So we've got the most spiritually mature men being told, don't drink any at all. And men who likely are younger and less mature who would serve as deacons, they can drink some. That doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Good point. All right, uh, Monty, uh, you get the last word. To, to me, in that passage, the way I understand that, it's saying you guys don't need to be drinking. And the word given means addicted to. It's not saying they can't ever have touched a drop because we've agreed that they can have drank it medicinally. And so it's saying you guys don't be don't be drinking in excess, and you other guys don't be drinking a bunch of wine either. Let's say you don't do it, and you don't be doing a bunch of it. We just use that as a figure of speech. Because it's all in the same context there. So it's not saying that these guys can't ever touch a drop, but these guys can have a little. But it's basically saying both of you don't need to be addicted to, to alcohol. Yeah, and the point Steve was making, I used this illustration last week, Jacob. When when you kids were little and we, and you say, can we go outside and play? And we said, yeah, go outside. Yeah, you can, but don't get all dirty. Yeah. We didn't mean that you could get dirty up to your knees. We meant don't get dirty at all. And, and, you know, the pro, as Steve said so accurately, the prohibition of excess does not grant the use of some. First Peter chapter four verse four says they think it's strange you don't run to the same excess of riot. Does that mean that you can run to a little riot as long as you don't get excessive with it? No. It, well, it, I think what another version says overflowing or overflowing. James uh, one overflow of wickedness. Overflow yeah. of wickedness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. We're out of time. Steve, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for the great sermon you preached. Jacob's going to podcast that. This program will be in podcast. And so there's a lot of information here to try to digest. Apologies to people who were in the chat room, who sent in emails, and we didn't get to cover all of those. It's obviously a very uh, sort of hot-button topic, very important uh, that brethren come to understand the teaching of God's Word. If you disagree with us, let us know. We'd like to hear from you. Uh, Questions at collegeu.com, and we could uh, even welcome you to a program uh, where we could discuss it uh, in person. So, uh, again, we look forward to hearing from you. Steve, Joy to be with you. Thank you for being here, Steve. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed it, and please appreciate your, your comments tonight. Thanks to everyone in the chat and the audience tonight uh, for sticking around and talking with us. Thank you for joining us on the other end of the Internet tonight as well, and we hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.